Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks again to Kurt for filling in last week. Um, and uh, this session, this week, the title of that is Why Am I Suffering? And I'm just curious, is uh, anybody off, uh, operating under the presumption that this was going to be an easy life? Uh, is anybody operating under the delusion <laughs> that there isn't suffering uh, present in the world? I, I think we're, we're all sort of shaking our heads, right? We know that suffering is a, is a part of uh, life. We know that it especially is a part of the Christian life. And that's something that we can often wrestle with, right? We want to accept Jesus and accept all of the good things that we get. But uh, Jesus actually warned his disciples that in this life they would have trouble. Uh, but then he reminded them of what? He said, take heart for what? I've overcome the world, right? And uh, I believe that passage is in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I, I looked it up earlier. Now I've forgotten as I've gotten started. Uh, but I'll, uh, I'll make, that, make that reference right here. Let's see. Where is it? Yeah, so uh, that is John 16, 33. It said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All right, so today we're going to be talking about suffering, and there's a little icebreaker question for us. It's on page 89 in your book, and that is, what's something that a lot of people enjoy but you can't stand? The picture, golf. Golf? <laughs> That's uh, my I'd rather watch paint dry. <laughs> Me too. I find that far more interesting. Uh, golf is one of those things that if you're doing it live and you're actually out in nature, it's very different than trying to watch it. Yeah. Right? Watching it, you're like, man, how can anybody watch golf? But if you actually get out there and sort of, you know, do it, it's kind of fun. Anybody else? Crowds. Crowds. Just yeah. events I don't like crowds either. I also don't like candy corn. Uh, I think candy corn's work of the devil. Uh, don't like it. Uh, the rest of my family loves it. Uh, how about you? Any others? I also don't like Fox News. I don't like television, period. My wife's addicted to it. Loves, loves, the, loves to just hear what's going on. I could care less. I don't like the beach. <coughs> she loves the beach. I hate the beach. I don't like sand. Stu, I'm with like you. I don't like to be gritty. I just don't like to be gritty. Well, it is. You're right. It is across the, across the street. Okay. That, okay. I, I, I got that has something to do with me. <laughs> and you have a boat, but you're okay in the boat out in the water. So there's no yeah, boat. you don't have to be gritty. Yeah. <laughs> it's all in between your toes and stuff, and it's hot. I mean, why, why would you want to go sit on the beach? It's weird. <laughs> oh. uh, let, let's flip over to page 90 in your book and get somebody to read the Bible Meets Life uh, section for us, please. Football. Some of us count the weeks and days until the start of football season. Weekends are consumed with both college and pro football. We love the game. Others among us couldn't care less. It's awful for us to make, to live in a football family. We suffer three weekends and dinner conversations that revolve around football, football, and more football. But the suffering is really partially our own fault. We could go into the other room or change the dinner conversation, but we endure because we love our family and friends. Of course, that's not real suffering though. True suffering has nothing to do with personal preferences. 
No one chooses to go through pain, heartache, and tragedies. We just can't leave, we can't just leave the room. But like the person who married into a football family and realizes the suffering is her own fault, many people take the same view of pain, pain and troubles. They assume they're suffering because of some sin or failing in their lives. The book of Job will give us a clear, a clearer insight into the role our sin may or may not play in our suffering. All right, so quick, quick, uh, quick poll. Um, people that are diehard football people, you could live, eat, breathe football. Show of hands, any of those people? Yeah. So we've got a few that are, that are willing to confess to that. And, and then the rest of you, I assume that you're not that way, right? So raise those hands. Yeah. I enjoy it when it's There you go. Yeah. 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 There you yeah. go. My life doesn't revolve around. Right. How about this? A, a more difficult and perhaps a more appropriate <coughs> poll. Um, how many of you occasionally feel like some of the things that you're going through are related to your own actions, your own sin in your life? You ever have those feelings? Yeah. I see a lot of heads nodding, right? But, um, what about the story of Job? Um, does Job counter that? Do you often recount him when you're having those feelings? Was, was Job a godly person? He, he was. Um, how much fault was found in Job? Does anyone remember? None. No fault was found in him, yet he experiences this incredible suffering. And we'll go through it when we're reading several passages from Job today. But I just want to plant that in your mind and just uh, remind you today that everyone, I think, around the room nodded their head and said, there are times where I feel like the trouble that I'm going through, the suffering that I may be going through is related to my sin. I think there, there can be those, you know, we can put ourselves in dumb situations, right? Through sin, we can walk into trouble. And we're supposed to flee from that trouble. There are times where that can certainly happen. Uh, but we're going to read a passage today and hopefully be reminded that it's not always the case. Uh, and, in, and in many situations, it may have nothing to do <laughs> with, with the, way, the way that you're actually living. Um, so the setting is around Job, and it's an example of, of uh, ancient wisdom literature that seeks to answer a difficult moral and ethical question. In this case, it deals with the reason for suffering. While the, the genre is wisdom, it's important to remember that Job was a real person suffering real pain, though not because of sin. In John 9, Jesus addresses the same question of suffering with his disciples. Like Job's friends, they assumed all suffering was punishment for sin. And like Job, Jesus debunked their errant theology. <coughs> so let's flip over to the first passage and re remember this while doing so. Don't assume your suffering is the direct result of sin in your life. It isn't always the case. So let's, let's look at the uh, first passage together, and it's in Job 11. Uh, we're going to read 13 through 16. Will somebody read that for us? Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then, free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as the waters gone by. Okay, so who's speaking here? <clears throat> these, are, these are Job's friends. Um, what's your reaction to the advice given by Job's friend? It sounds like he's laying 
all of Joe's trouble, um, all of Joe's troubles on that he feels like Joe Bob's like some hidden sin somewhere. Yeah. It's all his fault. Yeah. Do you know anybody in life that, that it appears that there's just no fault in them? I mean, have you ever been around somebody like that? We all know surely everyone sins. But have you been around somebody that's just a really awesome example of Christ-like behavior? Could you imagine going to them in their time of trouble and telling them that they just need to clean up their act? I mean, can you picture that person in your mind? That's what's happening here. Job's a good guy and everybody knows it. He's not living in secret. If you start in the beginning of Job and work all the way through Job, he's experiencing this and living all of this publicly. He's a good, godly person. But yet someone has the audacity to go to him and say, you know, if you just tighten up a little bit, this, this would all go away. You'd be able to stand up tall. You'd be able uh, to leave all of your troubles behind. Have you ever gotten bad advice? before and maybe the harder question have you ever given it this is one of those spots where I think we have to be really careful and I think that's why the lesson last week that Kurt went through preceded this one and that is the posture and position for us to take when we see other people suffering right the worst thing we can do is not be an encouragement to give people bad advice it's kind of like kicking somebody when they're down, right? And I think you guys talked a little bit last week about how to take a godly approach to encouraging others and to assist them uh, as they go through their trouble. <coughs> what would a more appropriate thing have been, especially for those of you that you know got to cheat and come last week? You know, what what would have been a more appropriate response for Job's friend? Just in a real practical sense. Can I help you? Yeah, is there anything I can do to help you? Right? Um, is there anything I can pray for you about? Is there anything going on that you need me to know about? Right? He could have asked Job, you know, is there any, anything going on in your life? Is, you know, do you have worries? Is there something I can help with? Um, what are some of the mistaken ideas people have about the connection between a person's suffering and sin? What, what's sort of the, the standard worldly question about this? What are some of the mistaken ideas people have about the connection between a person's sin and their suffering? Do we have any examples of where a sin led to suffering? Do we know of any of those? Are there any biblical stories? Or, you know? Wondering Bathsheba, the baby. Right. There are examples, right, where there was suffering associated with sin. And we as humans, we're, we're very action-reaction oriented, right? You do something, it has a reaction. You touch the hot stove, you get burnt. And our, our minds were very sort of finite, binary people, right? The light switch is either on or it's off. You know, you're hot or you're cold. We don't like the gray space. We like this action-reaction kind of uh, mentality. Um, and then again, we have a lot of evidence, a lot of examples to support that. Uh, and, and a lot of those stories get talked about a lot more frequently than the story of, of Job. What is it about the story of Job that's so off-putting to people? Why is it so hard? Yeah. 
doesn't seem fair. Is that another issue that I think we, you know, in society, we want everything to be fair. We want everything to make sense. We want everything to just be easy to understand. And Job is, is one of those conditions where we can look at that and we go, man, that just doesn't seem fair. Um, it's kind of like the lady this morning that Brother Paul was talking about that said Elijah and her son died. That, you know, she did the right thing and she's still suffering. Yeah. And, yeah good news is, right, uh, yeah. Elijah... <laughs> Uh, restores him to life through through God's help by doing what God ordered him to do, which is <coughs> good news. But yeah, sometimes it looks like bad things happen to good people. And that's something that people wrestle with. There are people outside the faith that that's what's holding them outside the faith, is how in the world could I follow a God that allows bad things to happen to good people? Especially people that are not just a little bit good, they're really good and that's the other mistaken idea that people have is that there are degrees of goodness in front of a holy God and there isn't right in God's world we're, we're all unholy we've all fallen short of the glory of God but in a human outside you know human existence we're qualifying each other we do it on the road even as we drive right do any of you judge the drivers around you? Never. And then, and then do, you, do you happen in that same moment look down and realize that you're breaking the law? I got a really interesting voicemail last week from somebody that was calling me apparently right about the time they got cut off. Oh. I forgot they were on the phone. That's <laughs> 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 funny. <laughs> I think it's in moments like that where we realize that we're, we're often as guilty as the people we're accusing. And that's one of those sort of mistaken human ideas that we have. And when we see someone suffering, we get judgy, right? We see someone that's holding that sign that says they need a little bit of help, and a little bit of judgment creeps in. Not always that empathy, not always that graciousness that you expect to, to well up inside of you. Sometimes it's, <coughs> I wonder what that person's done. We start judging their character. and I, it's, a, it's a human nature thing. But let's be reminded of this, that Job had actually done nothing wrong. The pain Job was enduring wasn't a result of his sin. He, had, he hadn't acted unjustly. He had no need to repent. Uh, going to God, and this is an interesting point. Going to God with made-up sin is just silly. Have you ever gone to God begging for forgiveness for something you actually hadn't done? Do you know people do that? In, in sort of the preparation of this, there are people that, that cannot break free of this idea that their suffering you know, can't be or might not be in direct relation to their sin, that they actually go and give repentance, may even go to confessional and things like that and other faiths, trying to shake something, trying to get this monkey off their back of suffering. But they're going to God, begging for forgiveness for things they hadn't even done. It's silly. Um, God already knows our heart, and saying you're sorry for something you haven't done doesn't honor him. 
Um, Job would not bargain with God. Satan initially told God that if Job experienced suffering, he would curse God. But after all of his livestock, <coughs> his servants, and even his children were taken away or killed, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Have you ever charged God with wrongdoing? Have you ever had something happen, and instead of maybe cursing the situation, have you ever raised your hands up or your head up toward God? Have you ever had something like that, where just, just honestly in that moment, we're like, you know, why me? Why would you do this to me? Anybody ever experience those feelings? It feels like one of those things that's a little uh, difficult and scary to admit in Sunday school class. Um, but it happens, right? And that's the thing that Satan was accusing Job of being prepared to do. And that is when all of this trouble would be heaped on him, that Job would cry out to God and he would actually curse him and say, why, why have you done this to me? Um, did he do that? Didn't, he didn't do that. Uh, that's, that's good news. All right, let's flip over to the second passage here. And uh, we, we jump pretty far ahead, right? We're jumping from Job 11 all the way to Job 23. And there's, uh, there's a lot to read in between there um, when you have time. Well, let's look at Job 23, 8 through 12. Will somebody read that for us? But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Yeah, so this is, this is Job's uh, confession, his profession, uh, back to those um, in the midst of his struggle. And, it's, and the question here is, what does Job's example teach us about following God in the midst of suffering? What do you take out of that? Yeah, I think it's interesting that he does point in all four directions, right, and says that he he can find no presence of God. Um, interesting in that is that he's still searching, right? In that in that kind of a, a cool thing. Um, He's, he's gone through uh, things that uh, most of us have never experienced. He's lost all of his wealth. He's lost all of his family. I know some of us have in the room have experienced tragedy of losing family and children and possessions and you know homes and fires and things like that. I know all of those things happen. He's experienced all of this, but yet he's still, he's still searching. He's still looking for the presence of the Lord. Um, and he says he catches no glimpse of him. Um, that's interesting. Have you ever felt that distant from God? Have you ever felt that loneliness of catching no glimpse of God? You have to be in a pretty dark place, right? Can you imagine uh, the, the pain of separation, of not feeling God's presence and not knowing where to find him, but still yet having this confidence in him? 
it's, it's a very intriguing thing that Job's being allowed to experience and we're getting a chance to, to study. So I think, I think you're right on. Um, what else do we find in this, this passage? What else sticks out as interesting to you? He can't see God, but he knows that God can see him. Yeah, and that's found in verse 10. He says, but he knows the ways that I take. Right, so Job's out looking and searching for God, and yet he has this confidence that God knows exactly where he is. Uh, and so he's, he's acknowledging the omnipotence, the omnipresence uh, of the Lord, being all full of knowledge and also this awareness of being everywhere. Um, what else? He obeys his commands. Yeah, he's following orders. He's still receiving these orders and instructions. Uh, and he also knows where this suffering's coming from. He knows that it's coming from God, and it's coming in the form of testing. Uh, he says that in uh, verse 10. He says, he has tested me. He's not talking about an affliction of the world. He's not talking about Satan doing something to, to him. He's acknowledging that God's the one testing him. And that he also sees the finish line, which is very interesting. Remember, he's searching. He sees God nowhere. He sees no glimpse of him. But yet he says, I know I'll come forth as gold. He knows he's going to come forth as a, as a pure, uh, you know, well-refined example, a treasure um, what else do we see there? He treasures the word. He's finding comfort. He's probably going through the problems with the word. Yeah. Assurance. And he makes a comparison that I think is an interesting one. He says he treasures the words of his mouth more than daily bread. Has anybody here ever been in the middle of such a, a struggle, uh, such a suffering? that just hearing a word of encouragement, hearing from the Lord, reading your Bible, being prayed over was more important than eating. Has anybody ever gone on a bit of a hunger strike during those times of suffering? It's really interesting. In moments without suffering, it seems that I can only go moments or, or hours in between food. But in a period of suffering... Isn't it interesting during times of heartache we, we find that food's one of the first things we push away? It's really bizarre. There is a, there's a, an interesting connection here for us to, to understand. And Job is in that spot where he said, I don't even need to eat. <coughs> um, and I, and I treasure, treasure the, to hear from God more than I would to be fed, uh, which, which is very interesting. So how about you? Uh, it's on page 93 in your book, and it's a question that says, how has suffering refined your faith? Maybe I'll ask it a different way. Have you ever felt closer to God during a time of suffering, during a, other than a time when you're not? How about in closeness with your kids, or in your marriage, or with your parents, or whatever the relationship might be? Have you ever felt closer to those people during times of suffering? versus times that are that are good. Well I just think about my mom's cancer, you know. Um, my sister and I both get busy with life and you know and I mean you forget. I mean not necessarily forget, it's unintentional, just con just contact. And I mean I talk to her every day now, sometimes twice a day. You know, just because I mean 
I didn't have that ability to do that, I mean, I don't, kind of don't really think about that, you know, yeah. when things are good, you know, and you don't have, have that. Anybody ever gotten real focused on what God wants you to do and be in a time when we were going through difficult times? God has a way of getting our attention. Suffering has a way of gathering our attention unlike anything else. Um, I remember some of the closest times in our marriage, um, we were dead broke. And I look, I look back on those and I'm like, wow, those were actually really good times, really fun times. But we were kind of wondering, like, how are we going to pay our bills? You know, it's interesting. I think about uh, being closest to God when my older brother, I mean, we thought we were going to lose him. And it was one of those times where I was like, I felt like, I almost felt like I was like in the moment communicating with God in a very different way. Um, it, there was like some interesting miracle kind of stuff happening there. And it was because everything else in life had been stripped away in that moment. He was all that we had. You know? I mean, some that that's exactly where God has Job, is that everything else is stripped away. He's all that he has. And even in that, Job can't quite see him or feel him in the way that he he normally does, but yet he, yet he doesn't turn aside. That is a refining kind of faith. It's, it's an incredible kind of faith. So let's flip over. Let's fast forward into the New Testament. Let's flip over to John 9. And if somebody will read John 9, 1 through 3. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Yeah, so I don't know who the knucklehead is that says this. I don't know which disciple says it. Uh, They're actually not identified. John's capturing this. It may be a self-confession. It may have been him. But when it's said, nobody jumps on and goes, man, come on. They're all all nodding. They're going, so who sinned, the kid or the parents? This is one of those, this is a common belief, right? That this person was in this particular condition, in this particular part of town, shunned in this particular way because somebody screwed up before God. Everybody accepted that. And then Jesus, you know, I think it's interesting that they ask him the question. Don't you? I mean, why ask the question? The reason they're asking the question is they're in that transformative spot in their walk as well as that they know who Jesus is now. They know that he knows things. He reads people's hearts. He reads their minds. He's already demonstrated all of these things. He's performed many miracles in front of them. They're now going to him, and they address him as rabbi who sinned. They, they They want to know what he knows which I think is a really interesting place for them. It's actually a positive confession that they acknowledge that Jesus has some insider information at this point that they'd really like to have. Why would they like to have it, though? Is it for good, or is it just out of curiosity? I think they're just curious. You know, I think they also know that Jesus is about to do something. Right? <coughs> Anybody here like to be in the know? You like to know what's going on? Like a little little pre-story, a little warm-up, you know, as you're, you're walking up? 
Jesus says, okay, we're about, you know, we're about to walk up and he's meeting you. They're in the moment, they know something's about to happen, and they're really curious. Um, what about you? You ever seen God at work and just merely been curious? Are you truly interested in jumping in? I mean, do you truly want to use that knowledge uh, to take the next step and to, and to work alongside God, or you just, you just want to watch what's about to happen? You just want to know a few secrets. Does anybody know anybody like that that just needs to know? Like, you can't hold any information back or they'll go crazy. Anybody know somebody like that? That's just always curious, always has to know what you know. Reads every twinkle in your eye, can see the gears turning, and then ask for a confession every time they do. We're, we're a naturally curious people. And the disciples were, were no, no different. Um, so Jesus responds how? So that the works of God can be displayed there. Yeah, what are, what are, when he says works of God, what does he mean? What's he talking about? Why does, what's God allow all these things to happen? I think you're headed there. I think it can be a lot of things. I mean, obviously he can heal this man and the works of God are displayed. But think about all the miracles that you see. Think about like, like Johnny Erickson taught who has the use of no limbs and, you know, and she paints with her, using a paintbrush in her teeth and she gives all the glory to God and she tells her story all over the world. Did he miraculously replace the use of her um, limbs? No, but he receives glory through the story that she tells all over the world. Yeah, so the, the works of God that you're describing, you, you use the word a couple of different times and that's the glory of God. Well, and I think how God works in our lives through tragedy or you know suffering or whatever is part of our witness. I mean, I, I'm yeah. a huge believer in that. Exactly. I mean, you may go through something that I'm not going through, but there's somebody out there that you can and, use. And that scripture story. testifies. Absolutely. And it says that he, you know, you have your testimony to share with the one who goes through it next. Yeah. I think it's tied to the change of the heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, with people that have been complete unbelievers. Um, like Ali Strobel or Josh McDowell or Robbie, Robbie Zachariah completely did not believe and now look what they're doing only God can change the heart so he's being glorified by changing their heart and, and they're going out well yeah. I'm just thinking Powerful. how many people look at yeah. that I mean you don't, you don't know it's huge I mean yeah, so you get you guys are you're, you're revealing God's plan uh, in all of your testimonies today. Human suffering is part of the world. It's part of a fallen world, whether you're a believer or not. Uh, who has the more powerful testimony? The Christian that squeaks through this life, never encountering a single suffering, just looks blessed all the way to the end. Uh, does that person draw more to the faith, or the person that's faced every trial and tribulation and survived them all and turns? always to God whose story is more impactful it's going to be the one that suffered the suffering the one that squeaked through this life you know what people are going to think about that person it's not that they're such a blessed believer that God spared them all everything they're going to believe that they're not a believer they're going to see that they look just like the world and that the way that they got through this life by squeaking through it was by merely conforming to it (coughs) Can they be used the same way that he wants, which is if you suffer, you can understand as Carly talked in the last chapter, how can you be used towards someone who has, so if you're not one who has gone through something, then 
you're not going to understand what they're going through. If you've never felt hunger pains, can you help somebody that's hungry? Can you truly relate? If you've never lost a child, can you comfort someone that's lost a child? I think God can equip us for all all good acts of service, but there's something about the human experience that wants to relate to other people that have been through the same. I think we just revealed the the plan that God has, and that is that we're supposed to struggle through this life relying on him, and that through that, many others will be drawn to him, (coughs) uh, which is really an extraordinary thing, and it's something we don't often want to believe. Uh, It's painful, and we know that it's going to be hard for us. Uh, When have you seen God glorified in the midst of suffering? Does anybody have a good example? I have one, uh, if you don't. And I'll start queuing that up. I don't know how this is going to work, but we'll try it. But anybody else have a good example of when you've seen God glorified in the midst of suffering? I had a good friend several years ago found out his wife was cheating on him. You know, hit that rock bottom spot in his life. Ended up saved as a result of wow. seeking and searching. Wow. Didn't yeah. make any of the rest of it easier. But yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw a situation in an old church where infidelity led someone to a point where they were demonstrated complete brokenness and God could finally reach their heart. It was really a, a sad tragedy, but it led to, a, it yielded an outcome that was a beautiful thing in the end. Uh, any others? Well, y'all know, um, my mom commits suicide. I'm telling there's been numerous different Cases where I've been able to connect with students who have gone through the same thing or similar to it. Once they kind of fill out the story, then they feel like, hey, so I use what happened to me, which was obviously not from God, to try to help them maneuver through their teenage years. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea. And I, I appreciate that you're sharing that with us and with them as they go through that. Wow. I want to share, a, it's a quick story, it's three minutes long. Uh, it's a pastor we used to uh, go to his church, and uh, he experienced an incredible tragedy, and he put out this little short video on YouTube uh, as part of uh, a Lifeway uh, deal. I'll see if we can get the volume high enough to, to hear it, but some of you know this guy, so we'll see. Hey, 